Well, happy Thanksgiving. This is our Thanksgiving uh, Sunday service. A lot of people still traveling here and there, but I trust you had a good Thanksgiving and that we actually did give some thanks to God, uh, other than just eating turkey and pumpkin pie. So uh, we pray that we did that. We have so much to be thankful for. And the Bible has a lot to say about Thanksgiving. I mean, if you go to some Bible app and you look for thanks or Thanksgiving, there's there's many, I didn't count them, but there's a lot of verses about Thanksgiving. We're going to just look at a couple this morning as we get going. Ephesians 5.20. It says, Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like you to underline, if you have a pen, there are two words in there. The first word is always. And the second word is everything. Now when you think about it, that's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Giving thanks always. Uh, we are to be giving thanks at all times. As we go through life, as we go through the day, we are to be thinking about things to be thankful for. In fact, all the things that we notice around us, the people that we notice around us, the situations, there's always something to give thanks for. And God is telling us to give thanks always and, and for everything. Everything that God allows to come into our lives is meant to ultimately bring good to us in one way or another. And who are we to give thanks to or to give thanks to God? To give thanks to God, it says in the Bible that every good gift, everything good in our lives that, that we have comes from God. And even the things that we might consider negative or difficult situations that He allows to come into our lives he wants to work them out for good for us as we seek His power and His grace to go through those things. We give thanks to God in Jesus' name because it's Jesus is the one who has saved us. He is the one who has opened our hearts to all the blessings that God has for us. Now sometimes we might feel, if you're like me, like I have nothing to give thanks for. Because the problems of the day seem a lot bigger than the blessings. Anybody ever had a day like that where the problems seem to outweigh the blessings and you say, I have nothing to give thanks for. But this verse says, hey, that's not a good attitude, is it? There's always something to give thanks for. There's always a time for thanks. And when God gives us a command like that, that we have in Ephesians 5.20, give thanks always, He's going to give us the strength. He's going to give us the wherewithal to carry out that command. God never commands us to do something that's impossible. So if he tells us to give thanks always, that is something that we can do. So this Sunday, I'd like us to watch a short video about this called Where Thanksgiving Begins. So Where Thanksgiving Begins. Sometimes it's hard finding thankfulness. With all the struggles, divisions, the anger often hidden deep within us. Too often life begins to drain the joy, distress, destroy the deafening noise, shuts out the voice 
of God. We walk our road, we wander our path, setting the tone, watching our steps right and left, every breath spent, longing for the next big thing. But what if we could give thanks in the little things? The small victories, the tiniest dreams that seem to feed our soul. The moments with the promise of God to never leave or move on to care and to love becomes undeniable. gratitude in the everyday this this is where thankfulness begins thanks for that but there's so many little things that God wants us to give thanks for each and every day. And as we learn to have a thankful heart for the little things, then our faith in God can continue to grow for bigger things. Give thanks for God's daily provision for us. We can give thanks for our families. We can give thanks for our, our church family. And there's always things that we can give thanks for God Himself and all His character and the blessings that He's given us in the past, the blessings we enjoy today and the blessings that we know are coming in the future. And so Thanksgiving can begin with the little things and become a way of life. Now, what is the opposite of giving thanks? The opposite is probably complaining about life. And complaining about life doesn't lead to joy, does it? It leads to sadness. Whereas giving thanks leads to joy in our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So what do we see here again? And this is not the only place in the Bible. We are to give thanks in all circumstances. Even the ones that don't seem so great. There's something there that we can give thanks for. And we see that rejoicing, prayer, and giving thanks here all fit together. Each of these three activities that God is calling us to do, in fact, that God is commanding us to do, each of them can be done in all circumstances. And in case we're not clear about whether we should do them, it says this is God's will for you. This is what is going to bless your life. This is what's going to cause you to be a blessing to others. It's my will for your life, God says to each and every one of us. And so everything that God commands us to do, He empowers us through His Spirit to do. Some days it may be more of a struggle than other days. But as we seek to follow God's will, giving thanks, the other things come into place. Now today my message is entitled, All Things New. We're going to talk about something that is 
coming in the future, something that we can look forward to, something that we can give thanks for, even before it happens. We can give thanks for it no matter what is going on in our lives. So what is this wonderful event that is coming in the future? Well, Jesus is coming back again. He is coming back again. And we're going to look at 2 Peter chapter 3 about this. And this is something that we can give thanks for in the future, no matter what is going on in our lives. It says in verse 3 and 4 of 2 Peter chapter 3, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In case you wondered, we are living in the last days. The last days began when Jesus ascended into heaven, and they continue until Jesus returns again. And so the people who are reading this 2,000 years ago, they were living in the last days, and we are still living in the last days. It talks about scoffers coming in the last days. What is a scoffer? A scoffer is someone who mocks or makes fun of something that they don't believe. In this case, they say, well, Jesus died on the cross. In Peter's day, it was just, you know, a few decades before. Today, it's 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross. Scoffers may not even believe that he rose again. And they say, well, he still hasn't returned. They say, you know, nothing cataclysmic is going to happen. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. This world is just going to keep on going as it has for thousands of years since the beginning, since the creation. And Peter says in the next verses that we don't have time to read that these type of scoffers which we have today are ignoring some important facts. And one of the things that they're ignoring is the flood of Noah's day. In Noah's day, God told Noah to build an ark. It had never rained, but God told him a great flood was going to come and destroy the earth. So Noah began building this ark. It took him a lifetime to build the ark with his family. And during that time, there were scoffers. What are you doing? Why are you building this ark? It's never going to happen. It's never rained. What are you talking about, a flood? But the flood came. And the only ones that were rescued were those that had built and taken refuge in the ark. And Peter writes in his letter that that is a, a sign, that is a foretaste of what is going to happen when Jesus returns. It's a foretaste of the judgment of God that is going to come in the future. Just as the judgment of the flood came quickly, came unexpectedly, so the next judgment is going to come in the same way. In verse 7 he says, but by the same word, the word of God, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And so there is a final judgment that's going to come. It's going to engulf the entire world. The final judgment will not be by water because God promised never again will I flood the entire earth. The final judgment will be by fire. And as the judgment by water in Noah's day destroyed the entire earth and every living being, so this judgment by fire will bring about the, the destruction of the ungodly, those who do not believe. And so today, people scoff at 
the return of Christ. They scoff at God's coming judgment. And what will bring about this judgment? It will be Jesus' return as He promised. Now, some people might ask, why has it taken so long? I mean, the people of Peter's day thought Jesus would return quickly. They thought He'd probably return in their lifetime, but it didn't happen. And down through the generations, now it's been 2,000 years. Why has it taken so long? Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Well, that question is addressed in verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come or should reach repentance. So some people think God is slow. You know, why is He taking so long? Why hasn't Jesus returned? It's just taking too long. But the reason that Jesus hasn't returned has to do with God's patience. God is very patient. That's something we often lack, right? Patience. God is very patient. He takes His time. He has a plan. He's working a plan. And when Jesus returns, there's going to be no more time for people to repent. If you've heard other teaching, it's wrong. The Bible clearly teaches when Jesus returns, there's no more time for people to repent. There are no second chances. There are no get-out-of-hell-free cards. Everyone's eternal fate will be sealed the minute, the second that Jesus returns. Those who are believers will eventually spend eternity or will spend eternity with Jesus. And those who are not will spend eternity apart from Jesus in a place called hell. And so God is patient because the longer he waits, the longer Jesus return, we might say, is delayed. It's not really delayed. It's on God's time. The more people have an opportunity to repent and become believers who will eventually spend eternity in heaven with you and I and with God himself. And this verse tells us when Jesus is coming back. Now, we can't set a time. But Jesus will come back. I read from this verse. When the last person who will repent has repented and believed. And then he will return. And so Jesus is coming back. We don't know. We're 2,000 years closer to that event than when Jesus promised it. But we don't know when it's going to be. So how can this truth that Jesus is going to return help us this Thanksgiving. Well, first of all, we can give thanks that, well, first of all, we need to believe Jesus is coming back. The Bible tells us he's coming back. Not just Jesus himself many times said he's coming back. The writers of the rest of the New Testament, we're going to talk even about Revelation. At the very end of our Bible, Jesus is coming back. A very, very important teaching a very important truth and we need to be firm in that truth Jesus is coming back this world is not going to continue the way it is now forever there will be an end to history when Jesus returns and that will escort us into the next age secondly we can give thanks that Jesus is coming back again no matter what you're going through you might have the worst of days the worst of years you can give thanks that Jesus is coming back again it's something that should bring us great joy. Because oftentimes we look around us and we see all the evil in the world. And so part of Jesus coming back is that all that evil is going to be removed by God's judgment. And that is a reason for giving thanks. 
whether we are alive when Jesus returns or as believers, we will come back with Jesus as he returns. Either way, we're going to be part of that great day. It's going to be incredible. And we must remember why Jesus hasn't returned yet. We're going to talk about it a little more in the next point, but he hasn't returned so that more people can be saved. That is the sole reason he hasn't returned yet, so more people can be saved and spend eternity with him, and that has implications for us. Now, when Jesus returns, it's not just going to be everything is destroyed. That's just the first part of it, God's judgment. The second part is that everything will be made new. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now in the Bible, the return of Jesus is called the, the day of the Lord. It's talked about in the Old Testament, it's talked about in the New Testament. And Jesus himself said, I'm going to come, it's going to be like a thief. How does a thief come? Does he announce to everyone, I'm going to break into your house? No, he comes quietly. He comes in the night. He doesn't cause any disturbance. He, he comes in unexpectedly. He comes without warning. And so it will be with the coming of Jesus, the day of the Lord. Jesus taught on many occasions. It's going to be unexpected. No one knows. Jesus made it very clear. No one knows the day he's going to come. It's going to be a time when people don't expect it and it's going to happen in an instant. At Jesus' return, this judgment by fire, it says, will consume both the earth and the heavens. It, it seems as though it says uh, the heavens will pass away. The heavenly bodies will be burned. It seems like our entire universe, will, as we know it, will be destroyed. I don't understand it all, but the earth in some ways and the universe around us have been contaminated by sin and it needs to be purged. It needs to be cleansed. The fire of judgment will remove all sin. It will remove all evil, all unrighteousness in preparation for the next age, the coming age, the age of eternity. And so what are the implications that this coming day of the Lord, what does that have for us today? It says in verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. And so knowing what is coming in the future as believers should motivate us to live lives today, lives of holiness and godliness. You know, eternity with God is reserved for those who are believers, who are God's children. And it says that we are to be waiting for, we are to be looking forward to this day of the Lord, looking forward to the return of Christ. And not only are we to be waiting for this day, an amazing word is in this verse. It says, hastening the coming of the day of God. What does hastening mean? It means doing something that's going to cause that day to come quicker. How, what can we do? What could we do? We must remember why Jesus hasn't returned yet. 
It's because some people still need to be saved who are not yet saved. And so each person that is led to the Lord, each person that God uses us in one way or another to lead them to the Lord makes it one person closer to the final number that God is waiting for. And so as we are witnesses to other people, as we share our faith, as we support the church, our church, as we support missions around the world, we are hastening the return of Jesus. We are bringing it closer for each and every person that is saved. But is the day of the Lord just about doom and gloom? Is it just about fire burning up everything? Well, no. In verse 13 it says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so when the present earth and heavens are destroyed, when all evil and unbelievers have been removed, what will be left? Well, God is preparing, he's creating a new heavens and a new earth. There will be no sin, there will be no curse, there will be no death, there will be no pain in this new heavens and earth. And so that will be our home, the new heavens and new earth, in which we live forever with God, a place where righteousness dwells. It'll be like a return in some senses to the Garden of Eden in which God walked and talked with Adam and Eve. We will walk and talk with God in a place with no temptation, a place where God is there, a place of indescribable joy. We're going to worship and serve God forever and ever. So when we look around our world today, we don't see heaven on earth, do we? We see evil. We see violence. We see killings. We see perversion. Sometimes our hearts are overwhelmed. But the good news is that that situation is not going to last forever. One day, God is going to make an end of it. God is going to bring about a new earth and a new heavens for us to live in and enjoy. You see, oftentimes we think we're going to spend eternity just in heaven. <clears throat> I've heard people say, you know, I'm really not too interested in, you know, sitting on a cloud with angels, plucking a harp forever and ever. You know, it just doesn't really do something for me. Well, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. It's going to be transformed. Everything's going to be transformed. Uh, this earth is going to be renovated. Uh, into a wonderful place. And we are going to have resurrected bodies. Just as Jesus had. Bodies that you can touch. That you can feel. But you can beam me up Scotty. You know you can do all kinds of things. That uh, you couldn't do before. It's going to be a wonderful place. And so when our hearts are distressed. As we look around us. The evil in the world, the things that are not right, the pain, death, separation from our loved ones. We can give thanks that it's not going to be like that forever. God has a plan to remove those things, the things that distress us. And we can give thanks that a better day is coming, a day is coming when everything's going to be made new. And we can do our part to lead people to Jesus hastening his return and preparing every person we lead to the Lord for eternity. 
So they won't be part of Judgment Day. They will be part of the new heavens and the new earth. We don't know when Jesus will return. It could be at any time. As I read my Bible, as I believe the best biblical scholars read their Bibles, it could happen this afternoon. There's nothing that has to be fulfilled that has not yet been fulfilled. When that last person is saved, and we don't know, when the last person is going to repent, has repented, he is going to return. It could happen this afternoon, it could happen next week, it could happen next year, it could happen a thousand years from today. We don't know. But we do know that it's 2,000 years closer than it was when Jesus ascended into heaven. And so our mission today is to, to live for Jesus' return. Peter goes on to say in verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, you're waiting for these things, you're waiting for the new heavens and new earth, you're waiting for the day of judgment, you're waiting for Jesus to return, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And so when Jesus returns, we want to be found by him doing his will, not living in sin. We must be diligent to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord as he could return in at any time. Jesus had parables. We don't have time to look at them today. It talked about his return and what happened when his servants were doing bad things when he returned. It didn't go well for them. They were cast into outer darkness. But the servants that he found doing his will when he returned, they entered into paradise with him. And so the hope of his return should motivate us to holy living, living for Christ each and every moment of the day. And we should also count the patience of our Lord as salvation in verse 15, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom giving, given him. So we mustn't be impatient that Jesus hasn't returned yet. There's a reason. God has a plan. He's working his plan. It's going to come out perfectly. We can give praise and thank him for the people that are being saved across the world. We are part, we are a small church, we are part of a very large fellowship, the Assemblies of God. I just looked up some statistics. Assemblies of God worldwide. A person is saved in the Assemblies of God worldwide every minute. Every minute a new person is saved. That's 1440 people saved every day. Every hour a new pastor is trained and begins the ministry. Every hour, a new church is planted somewhere in the world. And so, God is working. People are being saved by the thousands, by the, by the millions. And of course, there are other fellowships that are also winning people to the Lord. We're working together to hasten the day of His return. Verse 17, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand... Knowing what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen in the future. We just don't know when. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Peter warns us that our knowledge, uh, since we have this knowledge of Christ's return, it should make us careful about falling into error, about falling into unbiblical teaching, we must grow in our relationship with Jesus. We must grow in our relationship and understanding His Word. 
And that means that God is going to teach us new things in his word that we haven't known before. There are things that we know in God's word, but we haven't been very good at putting them into practice. And he's going to help us do that as well. There's always opportunity for us to grow. And so that means, growing means that some of our beliefs, some of our thinking, some of our attitudes, some of our actions need to change if we're going to become more and more like Jesus. Many have received false teaching in the past. There's things that we believe that are not true. There's things that people believe that are not based on God's word. And God wants to bring those things into conformity of God's word. Living our lives in light of Christ's imminent return. So I believe that we do not, speaking of myself as well, do not think about or live in the expectation of Christ's return enough. I mean, I know it's true, but do I think about it every day? And I confess, I haven't been. But this message is convicting my heart that we need to keep it in the forefront of our minds on a daily basis. This is really a core teaching of God's word on Jesus' return. Now, this doesn't mean, you know, there's people who try to chart out some prophetic timetable and this has to happen and this has to happen and all this kind of thing. And a lot of that isn't even, even incorrect. Uh, because if it makes us think that there's all kinds of things have to happen before Jesus returns, it's not correct. Uh, Jesus could return at any time. His return is, is imminent. But let's just think about the Lord's Prayer for a minute. One of the phrases in the Lord's Prayer is that we are to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When will that be completed? Only when Jesus returns again. Only will it be fulfilled in entirety. Now, it's progressively happening in our lives, believers' lives in the church around the world, but it's only going to be complete when Jesus returns again. And so when we pray your kingdom come, that is a prayer for Jesus to return in fullness, for his kingdom to come in completion. At the very end of the Bible, in the very last verses of the book of Revelation, Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. You can look it up for yourself. Just look at the last couple of verses in the Bible. <clears throat> And John, the writer of Revelation, replies, Amen, come Lord Jesus. It was his heart. It was the heart of the early church 2,000 years ago looking for Christ's return. And it may be that in our lifetime we may witness the return of Christ. And if not, we still can give thanks for it each and every day. We can still work to hasten that day because it will happen and so this Thanksgiving, uh, we have much to be thankful for. Jesus is coming back. There's no question about it. No matter what you're going through in life, that's something that you, that I can give thanks for. His return will bring judgment on the wicked and all the evil and all the things that pain us in our world today will be done away with. But that's not the end of the story because everything will be made new. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. In the book of Revelation, we see a picture in the last chapters of heaven descending down to earth. And God coming to earth to live and dwell with his people forever and ever. And so we must live our lives in anticipation of Christ's return. 
according to the truth of God's word. And amazingly, I find that word hastening the coming of the Lord, hastening his return by working with Jesus to spread the gospel until that last person is saved and Jesus returns. And so we pray along with the Apostle John, come Lord Jesus. So this morning I want to, uh, for those in present, present here today and those watching online, an opportunity to become a believer, to prepare yourself for eternity, to prepare yourself that you'll be ready when Jesus returns. You'll be ready to spend eternity with him. And you do that by admitting that Jesus died on the cross, that your sins might be forgiven. Asking for his forgiveness. He rose from the dead three days later, believing that Jesus is alive today and committing yourself to serving him as your Lord and Savior. Let's bow our heads right now. We're going to pray. I encourage you to pray along with me if you've never prayed this prayer before or recommit your life this morning so that you can become a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. Say something like this, Father, today, I admit that I've sinned, I've done wrong things, things I knew were wrong. I ask for your forgiveness, please forgive me. Come into my life, I believe that Jesus died on the cross that I might be forgiven, he rose from the dead. And I commit my life to following him as my Lord and Savior. I want to spend eternity with him. For the rest of us, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for your word. On this Thanksgiving Sunday for the promise that Jesus is coming back. And we give thanks to you today that you are coming back, that you are returning to be with us. So that we can see you face to face for the very first time. We thank you that judgment is coming on the wickedness of this world, the evil, all the things contaminated by sin, and you're going to make everything new. There's going to be a new heavens and new earth, and we thank you for that. We look forward to that, walking and talking with you, a life filled with joy in your presence forever and ever. We ask that you help us to live for your return, that we, we use the hope, the knowledge of your return to motivate us to live lives of righteousness, lives of seeking to carry out your will, lives of seeking to hasten the coming of your day by leading people to know Jesus Christ. We give thanks for all the ways you've blessed our lives. You've blessed us, God, so that we can be a blessing to others. We pray that you, we would use the blessings that you blessed us with to bless others, to hasten the day of your return. And so we pray along with the writer of the book of Revelation 2,000 years ago, come Lord Jesus, we look forward to your return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.